to the book of Ezekiel chapter 22 the book of Ezekiel chapter 22 Ezekiel is a very unique book carries a lot of important prophecy not only for that time but for today and the future a voice calls to the prophet saying son of man I am sending you to the Israelites my people but they are now a rebellious nation They've turned their hearts from me, and your voice will carry my words to them. And whether they listen or whether they fail to listen, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Can you imagine the responsibility of Ezekiel? Look, look, Ezekiel, I want you to go to these rebellious people, and I want you to, I want you to give them my word. And Ezekiel, if you'll give them my word and they listen, I'll do some things. Got a little ring up here, guys. When you get to Ezekiel 22, God condemns Jerusalem as the bloody city. Its citizens have shed innocent blood and worshipped idols. There was also every form of wickedness within the nation. There was sexual sin, bribery, and extortion. All at the hands of people who had forgotten their holy God. And you get to verse 28, and this is what it says. And our prophets have dowed them with untempered mortar. The ESV says they whitewashed them, seeing vanity and div divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord hath not spoken. You see, the prophets conspired, conspired to seize wealth from the populace by seeing false visions and lying divinations. The priests failed to teach God's word, God's law, and didn't even didn't even take into consideration the Sabbath. They were intentionally blind, leading the blind. The officials, meanwhile, were nothing but greedy bureaucrats destroying lives in order to make profit dishonestly. Here we get a picture of a society in complete chaos and breakdown. Every scope of authority in God's kingdom program, from the religious leaders to the civil government, and even the family unit was failing in its responsibility to carry out God's kingdom agenda. Verse 29, and the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. He said, I look for one man. All this is going on. You had, you had a, the, the prophets, the priests, the leaders, the home. Everything is going wrong. And he said, I just need one man to stand in the gap and build the hedge. One person. And the prophet compares their condition to a city whose walls were gapped up and broken. Back then, a city's defenses were its walls. And Jerusalem was in danger. Now, in reality, the prophet, the prophet wasn't thinking about the material defenses of the city. 
The real defenses were not its walls or bars of iron. The real defenses were the prayers of God's people and their devotion to God. It set them apart. And he needed someone to take a stand and be the difference maker. But they kept just painting the wall instead of fixing the breaches. And I want to talk to you for a little while tonight on this topic. A question that matters. Hey, they got a lot of chaos going on in our world. But there's a question that we all got to answer today. Is there somebody that will stand in the gap and make up the hedge? We can complain about how bad it is. We can talk about how everything's going downhill. Or we can, we can find a place and pray and ask God to help our nation and help our community and help our families. A question that really matters. It really matters. God, I need your anointing today. Help me to preach to these great people your word, God. Help me to speak to them what you've given me today. Thank you for the opportunity, those watching online, God. Help us to find your will tonight. Help us to answer the question that matters. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout amen. If you love the Lord, give him one more hand clap of praise. You may be seated. The corruption in Jerusalem had reached from the top of society to the bottom. The religious leaders were spiritually bankrupt. The political leaders were lost in corruption and the people's hearts had turned to stone. There was no more conviction or consecration and their sensitivity to God had diminished. It was more about show and image, not devotion and depth. They were shallow and superficial. Ezekiel 22 and 24 tells us a little bit more. Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rain upon in the day of indignation. Notice the two characteristics. Number one, the land not cleansed, filthy, defiled by sin, abortion, divorce, adultery, sexual perversion, and rebellion. People are living like animals, ignoring godly boundaries. They silence their internal voice of conviction so much that their conscience has now been seared. The land is dry. Rain on the land was a sign of God's favor and an outpouring of his spirit. And, and because the people are not giving, uh, not, not giving God a place, the presence of God a place in their life, they, they, there is no rain on the land. There, there is no happiness. People are discontent and unsatisfied and searching after pleasure and fulfillment through fantasy and, and immorality. Look, I'm talking about back then, but it sounds like I'm talking about 2022. <laughs> It's uncanny the parallel this chapter has with the current world that we're living in right now. And in the days of Ezekiel, this wasn't just happening around the people of God. It was happening in the midst of the people of God. Their corrupt surroundings had infiltrated and subverted their lifestyles, their perspective, and their faithfulness. They had lost their way. They were supposed to be watchmen on the wall and builders of the kingdom. But they no longer could distinguish between holy or unholy, righteous or unrighteous. Now they're standing with what they're supposed to be standing against. They're enticing what they should be rebuking. They're entertaining what they should be resisting. Can I be honest tonight? I'm so tired of hearing the, the world is what's wrong with the church. The real problem is the church is what's wrong with the world. Oh, you heard it right. I didn't say it wrongly. The real problem is the church is what's wrong with the world. 
We are confusing people by saying we believe in a God that can save their life and help them, but we're not willing to fully commit to that same God. We're telling them about a, a God whose presence can overwhelm them and change their life, but yet we're not willing to fully give that same God all of our heart, all of our effort, our time, our talents, and our treasures. This is the reason that Jesus said this in Matthew 23, 27 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. This refers to the practice of painting tombs white so they look beautiful, which outwardly they appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you are also outwardly, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The Pharisees were deceptive and served as blind guides to all who followed them because they really didn't follow Christ the way that he wanted them to follow him. And there are eight characteristics of a modern-day Pharisee. I didn't write this. I got it from a guy by the name of Frank Biola. And this is what it says. Number one, Pharisees spend more time focusing on what they hate rather than on what they love. We have showed people a hateful, we have painted an image of a hateful God that doesn't love them, care about them. And what Pharisees really hate are people. Well, people who sin differently than they do. They are known for what they are against rather than what they are for. Look, guys, I'm glad that there is separation. I'm glad that there are some things that we don't go along with. But I want people to know what I'm for. I'm for the anointing. I'm for the presence of God. I'm for showing up to a lively church to where we can worship and be liberal. I'm glad today that I've got things that I'm for and not just things that I'm against. Number two, Pharisees magnify the sins of others while minimizing or even ignoring their own. Jesus said to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. A.W. Tozer put it this way, a Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself. But a spiritual man is easy on others and hard on himself. Number three, Pharisees believe and spread accusations against others without ever going to them directly, but are offended when somebody says something about them and doesn't come to them directly. Oh, am I preaching? Because I'm telling you, we can't have the revival that God wants us to have if we don't get this pharisaical spirit out of the church. It's got to go. It's confusing people. <laughs> Pharisees are skilled at vilification, bombing others with God on their side. In fact, many of them don't know what to do with themselves unless they're fighting for Jesus against the body of Christ. Number four, Pharisees are quick to pass judgment, but slow to inquire and listen to those they're judging. Pharisees wake up with criticism in their hearts, plotting against those they wish to destroy, even before the coffee gets cold. They'll shoot first, but they'll ask questions later. The exact opposite of what James and Jesus said. You know what James said? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Matthew's 7 and 12, so in everything, that's what Jesus said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. 
And the measure of my spirit of criticism is the measure of my distance from Christ. If I'm always negative and I'm always criticizing and I'm always, uh, everything's always wrong, nothing's ever right, then that means I'm not really close to Christ. Because I don't know about you, the Savior I serve isn't always negative. You know what he believes? He believes that anybody can be saved. You know what he believes? He believes we can have revival right now in the midst of everything that is going on. Number five. It breaks a Pharisee's jaw to admit they're wrong and apologize or apologize to those they've mistreated. You'll have a better chance seeing a hen floss their, her teeth than to witness a Pharisee apologizing or admitting their mistake. They never turn the spotlight inward. Number six, Pharisees only hang out with other Pharisees. Because Pharisees establish dubious doctrinal criteria by which every Christian is judged and condemned to hell. They only hang out with other Pharisees. Go read who Jesus hung out with. Go read, go read the tables that he sat at. Go read, about, go read about the people that he wanted to be around. He went to find the lost. He wanted to give them a place and show them what grace and mercy and redemption is. I don't want to, I love you, but I don't want to just hang out with saved people. I want unsaved people to know there's a Savior that loves them enough. Number seven, Pharisees impute evil motives to the hearts of others but are clueless that they're merely revealing what the sin, what's in their own life. While they use terms like discernment, if somebody constantly tells you I've got a spirit of discernment, pray for them immediately. Pray for them immediately. Because there's a lot of manipulation that goes on with the spirit realm. I know a lot of people that say God said, God never said. I know a lot of people that says, I've got a strong spiritual. Can I be honest with everybody? We all got the spirit of discernment. Everybody in this building has some form of the spirit. Yours may be stronger than mine. I'm not saying it's not. But we all can discern. But if you've got somebody constantly, their discernment is always stronger than your discernment. I just feel this in the spirit. No, that's not what I feel. My discernment is on another level than your discernment. I'll tell you what I feel in the spirit. This is what I feel that God's going to do. You know what they're doing? They're trying to overpower what the real, real will of God and the plan of God is. Because somebody that constantly abuses the gifts of the Spirit in order to control somebody's opinion and outlook Listen, we should use discernment to edify the body. We should use discernment. Hey, if God tells me, hey, you need to go tell so-and-so that if they keep going down that path, it's not going to be good, I have no problem doing that. But I shouldn't exercise my discernment in order to control anybody's emotion. Can I preach a little bit longer? I shouldn't. This pulpit is a form of authority. But if I abuse this authority to manipulate you to give me what I want, then I'm outside of the will of God. And I need to repent before God. We've got to stop using the gifts for personal gain. The gifts are for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. And I'm telling you, this, this, it's rising up. I'm telling you, when the Antichrist shows up, he's going he's to show up saying, I've got discernment. He's going to show up saying that he's for Jesus. 
But he's not really. He's going to deceive a lot of people. We've got to wake up because the spirit of the Antichrist is not only at work in the world. It's at work in the church. It wants to destroy the image of the church so that people no longer trust in what God has given us to help save this world. Pharisee will use their discernment to excuse their sin. Pharisees are clueless to the fact that they betray their own hearts whenever they judge the heart of another. Can I give you a newsflash? Only God has the ability to read the motives of mortals. And as I've contended elsewhere, the New Testament has zero tolerance when humans try to act like they're sovereign. On that score, Pharisees need to listen to this quote. The difference between you and God is God doesn't think he's you. So stop thinking you're him. Can I teach a little bit? Can I help some people? Number eight. Pharisees cannot tolerate correction. Even when it's given in in the spirit of Christ. The Pharisee hasn't caught on to the fact that no human sees every angle of everything. Pharisees are quick to join the bandwagon of brother and sister bashing, crafting special attacks against those who don't line up with their unique interpretations of Scripture. And they break out in balls whenever someone points out their flaws. You know what we need tonight? We need Galatians 5. I need Galatians 5 every week of my life. Verses 22 through 25, but the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the world needs. This is is what they need. If we're going to show Christ and we're going to show people that the church has what they need. Listen, what good, what good is this building if people can't come in here and feel unity and love and support? What good is it? There's enough turmoil out there. People shouldn't come in here and hear hear people arguing and bickering and and it's not happening in here. But I want to let the enemy know I'm going to call it what it is. It's not going to happen here. This is going to be a place of love and care and support. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do I I need to read that again? Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ. This is why the church is confusing the world because the church belongs to Christ. The church that Jesus Christ came to build belongs to him. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but not the church. It's supposed to be a safe haven. And this is what he said. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us do what? Also keep in step with the Spirit. Watch this verse 26. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another and ending one another. That last sentence of verse 26 If we put Galatians 5 into practice every day of our life or every week, I'm not going to ask you to leave here and read it every week. I mean every day. But I am going to ask you to leave here and once a week read Galatians 5. And I want you to ask yourself a question. Am I operating in the flesh or am am I in alignment with the Spirit? There should be love, support, and unity in this place and among the body of Christ. Why is this important? Because if you get a chance this week, I want you to go read Romans chapter 2. The Jews felt that they knew God's will. 
They were instructed by the law. They thought of themselves as a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, and felt that because they had the law that they were superior. They felt like they were better than people. You ever been around somebody that they made you feel like they were better than you? That's how they felt. They said, you know what? We got revelation of the law. We got revelation of the word. So we, we're, we're, we're on another level. Look, when I talk to you you, you, you duck down a little bit. You make sure you're below me. But having the law, instead of making them righteous, it made them self-righteous and hypocritical. They assumed that God wanted external religious conformity. So they said all the right things and they boasted about how much of the law they knew. We know the law. However, external religion without internal conversion has absolutely no value to God. If my heart's not right, I can paint the wall how I want to paint it. But if my heart isn't pure, he never intended for his people to simply memorize his law. He intends for us to keep it. And we can only do that when we are changed from the inside out. And you know the only way to keep my heart right? is to get in the presence of God and care about the things that he cares about. Look, we have majored on the minors. We need to go back to the things that Jesus Christ really cares about. Because this is what grieves me tonight. Romans 2 and 24. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The hypocrisy of the saved kept the gospel from going to the lost. And here we are. Preacher, why are you teaching us on a Wednesday night? Because I'm telling y'all, we are in an upheaval spiritually in this world and in this nation. And the enemy's doing everything in his power to bring that same upheaval inside of the church. And we have the greatest opportunity right now to get in alignment with the Spirit of God and the Word of God and show people that there is a different way to live your life. You don't have to live it like that. You don't have to live bitter and angry and hateful and immorality. You can live a life of joy and happiness and peace. We know that the world is going to grow colder and darker. But the real issue is that there are churches across this country that have more scandals than Congress. Am I preaching? I'm seeing many Christians that are addicted to the drug of admiration, looking for the identity and the applause of people instead of the word of God, painting a pretty picture on the outside, but they have no spiritual depth. They don't love souls, and they don't care about anybody but themselves. They're whitewashed tombs. You see, people with a Pharisee mentality view their salvation as a nice pair of ice skates. They put them on. They perform a nice routine of learned tricks and moves, but they have no intention of skating over dangerous waters to help somebody get to safety. It's more about image than it is eternity. A Pharisee will carry a rock to church looking for somebody to throw that rock at. They look for sin so they can expose it to people instead of leading somebody to a place of repentance and grace. Yet on the other end of the spectrum, 
They are true Christians. They don't bring rocks to church or into this world. They bring bandages. They're looking for the hurting. They come equipped with a rope to get somebody out of a dry well. They're always looking for somebody to say, hey, man, you're going to make it. We're going to get through it. It's going to be okay. Let me love you back to grace. They're always looking for somebody to pick up. Say, let, let me ask you a question. And I'm not being condescending. I'm being sincere because I preach to myself all day long. Have you looked for anybody that may need a helping hand? Have you got outside? It may be a family member. It may be a co-worker. It may be somebody in the body of Christ. But have you woke up one morning and said, God, put it on my spirit, somebody that may be in the driest season of their life? Because I can tell you what the most important question is right now in this church and in this nation. Is there one person that can show people a true love of Christ that can help bring them to a place of safety and victory in their life? Listen, that's why we link up here on Wednesday and Sundays. I don't know if you know that or not. I don't, I don't show up just to preach a message. I show up on Wednesdays and Sundays because I want to I be, build a bridge. I want to I I take the gap of somebody lost and the mercy of God, and I want to bridge that gap, and I want to I bring them to a place, and I want to make sure when we link up and I ask you, listen, when I go to a conference, I get... I get so nervous because God's going to allow me to sit by the loudest person at that conference. He takes my introverted nature and he puts me by the person that claps the loudest, hollers the loudest, ears ringing. And then I, I got to catch myself because sometimes I'm just looking at him like, man, like, really, you got to clap that loud? Let's dial it back a little bit like I know he gave you hands a clap, but it's all right. I mean, they're going in. And I know, I know God's going to set me up every time. He's going to put me by the most spiritual person that has all nine gifts of the Spirit operating at one time in their life. And the preacher is going to say, link up with the person beside you. <laughs> and I know it's coming. Not only do they reach over and grab me by the shoulder. But literally, they shake my shoulders so hard. And my shoulder begins to come out of place. And they lay hands on me. They always give me a word. This is no joke. I was at, I was at a conference one time. I'm sitting in the balcony. In the balcony. There's 2,000 people there and a man's preaching. He gets done preaching. I'm in the balcony. He runs up the stairs just to get to me in the balcony. God said, I got you. But you know what I've learned? It's those moments that you link up with the body of Christ that strengthens you. But not only does it strengthen you, it's something happens in the supernatural. That's why when we ask you, I know you get nervous and I get nervous too. And it's easier for me to say to, say to do it up here than, than if I was out there. But when we say link up with somebody, I'm not just telling you to link up with them to link up with them. I'm telling you in the spirit that we're building a hedge around something. Somebody may be in trouble on a Sunday. And when we say link up with your neighbor, what we're saying is, devil, we're going to cover them. We don't, even know, we don't even know what we're exactly praying for. But we know that somebody may be in trouble. And the body of Christ is meant to build a hedge. So we're linking up arm in arm. We 
You know what I started visualizing? When I link up with somebody in, pr in prayer, this is what I visualize. I visualize that we're making a bridge. And we're making a bridge for somebody to get across their situation so that they can get into the presence of God. That's what we're doing. I don't have time to be a Pharisee. I don't have time to critique everything in everybody's life because I'm trying my best to pull as many people to salvation as I can with the help of God because he's coming back soon. I'm telling you right now, we're getting closer and closer to the end time and there's a question that has to be answered. Are we going to go through the motions or are we going to stand in the gap and build uh, the hedge? We're going to build the hedge. I could go in, and I'm going to get into Ezekiel. I will get into that in two Wednesday nights. I've got 58 pages of notes. I'm only on page 21. But let me get here, and then we'll go somewhere. This, this sermon was originally, I did it at a hyphen session. Today I took it out. I, did, I preached it here. I did a series here. Some of you may remember called Don't Pass the Chalk. Anybody remember? Can't pass the chalk. What I mean by that is at some point you've got to take ownership you got to take responsibility. One of my pet peeves with, with my son and daughter is if, if they've done something wrong or if they made a bad grade in school and they come home and they're blaming every reason why they made a bad grade or why they got in trouble, I look at them and say, stop. Take ownership. You didn't do what you were supposed to do and it puts you in the position you're in. And at some point, everybody in this building, including the man with the microphone preaching right now, we've got to stop trying to give the chalk to everybody else. And we've got to realize that we've just been coloring the wall. We haven't fixed the breaches. Uh, we had not taken care of the problems. Uh, we've just, we've just, <laughs> we was we're about to fix that parking lot. And it's been with me all week. It's stuck with me all week. We're getting ready to, to fix that asphalt on that parking lot over there. And had a guy come in and we've got to do some overlaying. But because everything's so expensive, we're going to put some seal coat on the top of it. And he looked at me. He said, man, that's like putting lipstick on a pig. I said, bro. I said, when you ain't got no money, sometimes lipstick look good on a pig. I mean, what you want me to tell you? <laughs> he said, well, you're not, you're not fixing the real problem. He said, you just, you just. I said, well, man, that's what we got to do. But can I tell you tonight, that, that's not what we have to do in the kingdom of God. We got to get a shovel and we got to make sure the foundation's right. We got to make sure, look, the enemy will get into your life anyway. That's why the Bible says don't even give him a foothold. I had a dream that this sermon, this sermon was built. I had a dream. I'll never forget it. In this dream, I walk into this house and there's this, this person that is demon-possessed. And I walk in like I got it all together, and I look at him, and I said, come out in Jesus' name. And in the dream, that demon spoke back to me and said, you better go get somebody else because you can't handle me. And I woke up. But, Jeremy, I got intentional, and I realized that there are some things that I'm not There's ranks to this, guys. I don't know if you know that or not. There's spiritual ranks in heavenly places. And there are some things that we can't deal with in the supernatural while we have all these breaches in our life. We've got all these things that, that we're not dealing with and we're not getting out of our life. And, and we wonder why the enemy has footholds. Listen, you may think it's crazy, but 
If your home is in disarray and there's depression and discouragement and sickness in your home, get you some olive oil, go around your home, and you say, devil, I'm taking authority. I'm fixing the breaches right now. I'm making sure that my home... Well, preacher, that, that's, that, that's, that's old school. You're getting all unique. Well, I'm telling you, this is a unique battle. And we got to make sure. I left that dream, and you know what? I, I went to, to Matthew 17, and this is what I read, verses 14 through 21. And when they were come to the multitude, thank you for keeping up with me. I know I jumped a lot. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and sore vexed for Oft times he falleth into the fire, and oft times into the water. And I brought him to the disciples. They couldn't do anything with him. They couldn't cure him. They couldn't help him. That's how I felt in that dream. I was like, man, does this devil know who I am? That's the problem. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But it's a problem when the devil don't know your name. And they couldn't do anything. Then Jesus Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer with you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the de devil. I love it. And he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very, that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. But here it is. This is where, listen, we come to church, guys, and I love it. Thank you for coming and being faithful. If you weren't here, we, we couldn't pay the bills, lights couldn't stay on, there would be no joy here, there would be no peace. But watch this next verse. How be it? We misquote it. How many of you have heard it quoted, how be it that this kind only cometh by prayer and fasting? Anybody ever heard it quoted that way? It's not what it says. How be it this kind goeth not out by prayer and by fasting. There are some things that God wants to do in the midst of the church that will not happen by just casually coming to church, we've got to pray, and we've got to fast, and we've got to say, God, I want to get to a place to where the enemy knows uh, my name. Have you ever had somebody identify you by the wrong name? It's miserable. It's an emotional bag of trail mix. It's a little bit of anger, a little bit of disrespect, a little disregard for the person speaking to you, a little humility, and even a little bit of sympathy for them because you realize that they didn't do it on purpose, you just wasn't rememberable. <laughs> to be honest, I have compassion on people who mess up my name, and I don't want to make them feel bad about their inaccuracy, so I avoid correcting them. I just go with it. It seems to happen all the time. A pastor at our Section 1 conference years ago voted for John, thinking he was voting for me for youth director. If I would have lost by one vote, it would have been because he voted for John and not Josh. He came up to me and said, John, I voted for you. I said, man, thank you for your support. Appreciate you. This happened last week. Every time I go to Cracker Barrel to enjoy a scrumptious breakfast with eggs over medium, tasty hash brown casserole, crispy bacon, and heavenly pancakes, I'm greeted by a girl that I went to school with and graduated with. 
And she comes in and says, Sean, how are you doing today? <laughs> Just fine. <laughs> doing great. Sean loves pancakes. <laughs> but Jim, am I really that forgettable? My name is Josh. It's really Joshua, but I will take the UA off. It's Josh. It's four letters in one syllable. And then my wife, she says, babe, why don't you tell her? I said, babe, I just can't. But can I assure you of one thing? I can't blame those people for mispronouncing my name or not knowing my name. I can't blame them. I don't correct them. I let them think that's what my name is. I let them misidentify me. And I believe that in the kingdom of God, we've allowed the enemy to misidentify who we are. Listen, I, get, I have a dream, and I'm pastoring a great church. I'm doing the work. To be honest, I'm, I'm not sin-free, but I'm not just sinful. Bro, will you come on up? You know what I'm saying? I'm not just full of sin. Come on, bro, will. But in that dream, I realized that I hadn't even made an impression enough on the spiritual world. For the enemy to even know who I was. And listen, I dealt, I dealt with some people that were demonically oppressed and possessed. And I thought, I thought I had it. You know how you do. They come in and they start acting up. You lay your Bible on them in Jesus' name. Listen, we've had them show up at prayer meeting. And they start getting aggressive. And I just go over and whisper in their ear. In Jesus' name. And literally, I promise you, some of you have been here, it stops immediately. I don't believe that the devil gave me that dream. I believe it was Jesus telling me there's another level. And with another level comes another devil. And if you don't fix some breaches in your life, the pastor. And if you're not willing to stand in the gap and make up the hedge, because there are people coming that are going to be oppressed and maybe even possessed. I'm telling you, the enemy's running wild in this world right now. And look, guys, we can get all caught up in friendly fire in the church. We don't like the lights. We don't like the sound. Tear it all down. I'm being honest. I really feel like I heard from God building this building, but I, I could care less. They come take it tomorrow. Because my mentality is I want to see people delivered, set free, restored, and redeemed. And the only question that matters here tonight is will you answer the call for the level God needs you to operate on for people that are going to come into your life that are broken down and possessed. And I'm telling you, I'm on a mission. I want every devil to know my name. Not because of who I am, but I want them to know that I'm on a mission because we're getting ready to we're getting ready to, to bridge the gap. and We're getting ready to make up the hedge. But in order to do that, we've got to stop going through the motions. Casual church isn't going to work in this world. The question that matters is will you answer the call? Will you, will you push the plate back? 
find you a place of prayer? Will you be willing to look? I watched Sunday, and Sunday was powerful. It was powerful. And I watched as broken people came to the altar. But then I watched with people that really didn't have issues in their life. And just kind of stood back and watched the broken come and pray. Listen, can I tell you what God wants? He, wa he wants us to come and lay hands on those that are broken and say, I'll be the one to help you. You need help, I'll help you. Had a guy call me, and I'm done. Had a guy call me last week. He said, Pastor, will you mentor me? And I'm going to be honest. When he said it, my immediate thought was, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. That was my immediate thought. And then I had to rebuke myself. You ever had to rebuke yourself? I said, get thee behind me, Joshua. Sean, <laughs> get thee behind me, Sean. John, you will not prevail today. I realize shame on me if somebody's asking me to help bridge the gap and make up the hedge in their life and I'm too busy trying to put chairs together I'm telling you there's a call tonight that is going forth and I'm prophesying to you underneath the unction of the Holy Ghost God's getting ready to put people in your life that are going to need you to lead them to Christ and if you answer the call, listen, be you. His burden and his yoke is easy and light. If we do this the right way, it's really not that heavy. We just do what we can do for people and we lead them to Christ. But we've got to get to a level of prayer and fasting. And we're going to get to Ezekiel on two Wednesday nights from now. But I want us to stand all over this house. This is what I would like to happen right now. Step number one. I want everybody in here, including myself, to search your heart. I want you to lay your hand over your heart. If there's anything, nobody in this place is perfect. From the platform to the chair. But if there's some doubt trying to come in your life, I want you to deal with that right now. If there's some hurt and some pain and some bitterness and some anger, if there's contentment, just being content with the way that, I want you to deal with that. If there's sin in your life, I want you to go ahead and deal with it right now. Lay your hand. The enemy wants you, ma'am or sir. The Bible says God knows my name. Everybody else may forget my name, but God knows my name. There's a call that's going forth right now. So I want you to deal with whatever you got to deal with just for a moment. God, search me. Search me, God. Search me, God. Are you ready? Here's the second step. Search me, O oh Lord. Here's a second step. This is the question that you have to answer. I can't answer it for you. I know what I'm going to answer. But the question that matters today is there's a call that's going forth that God needs people to bridge the gap and make up the hedge. is enlarging itself daily we see the corruption in our land and the question that matters today is is there one 
I could hear the call of God. Is there one that will make up the hedge and stand in the gap? Is there one? Because if intercession goes forth, then lives will be changed and people will find Christ. We're going down to the river.